Moving on podcast markets with Sean Hackett. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida. And I bet you got your snowblower out all ready to go for this big winter storm sweeping across the country, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we're 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 we're, we're definitely uh, you know batting down the hatches time for us down here. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's just it's awful down there right now. What, what what's the temperature in Florida right now, Sean? On on what's today? Tuesday morning. What's what's the temperature? Right now, I think it's uh, 68 degrees. You guys better get your parkers out because it's wicked cold. <laughs> well, I, at 4 a.m., I had the fire on outside. That's oh, how yeah. cold. I bet. I yeah. bet. Whew. Man, you guys are struggling out there. All right. All right, buddy. Okay, so. If it makes you, if, if it makes you feel any better, I will be going to the Midwest in uh, in January. So I'll have my uh, my fill of the cold weather, I'm sure. So. But see, you go back to the warm. You know what I mean? You go back to spring break. That's what you go back to. So it's 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 nice. That's a nice that's a nice trade off, I guess. All right, man. Well, I want to hit a little bit on sugar. So sugar is one of those things that we talk about every once in a while in here. Um, in my neck of the woods, sugar is a big deal because sugar beets is a big deal. Um, and this has been a a less than good year when it comes to sugar beets. Um, we've had. So for those that don't know, sugar beet growing portions of the country are basically the Nebraska Panhandle, North and South Dakota, up in the Red River Valley, um, out in Oregon, um, over in Michigan there's some. I guess there's some in Louisiana that I didn't know about, so that's that's a new one. But So basically there's like five or six spots across the United States that grow sugar beets, and sugar from... Sugar beets represents about 60% of the U.S. sugar production in, in the United States, so with sugar beets having a a significant um i guess down harvest you know not so much that they didn't produce the tons of stuff they just couldn't get it out of the field they had some hard freezes and and it and it had a big effect on what they could get out of the field and from what i've read and what i've seen out there there's about 20 to 30 percent of the beets still still sitting on the field now that aren't going to get have any kind of production whatsoever so i guess sean talk about the U.S. sugar market, and then talk about how the global sugar market all works together, and and you know they're kind of independent from each other, and what that looks like. <clears throat> I mean, the U.S. sugar market's a closed loop, highly subsidized, and we, we down here in Florida we actually have sugar cane that we grow, but um, uh, and, and normally we produce what we need. You know, if we have some an excess year, we store a little bit, but it's kind of a self-contained unit. We really rarely impact the market or have to use the open market to buy sugar um but this year with uh, the sugar beet crop you know being way way down uh, we're going to have to access the uh the global market and um this is just happening at a time when india's production is down will be down 20 percent uh this harvest uh, is expected as we're continuing uh thailand which is a huge exporter of sugar um is also going to be down 20 or 25 percent and we know that brazil's production of sugar down 35% over the last two years because they've been converting more sugarcane over to ethanol than producing refined sugar. So, so we're in a second year of a global sugar supply deficit. 
And uh, I don't see anything that's going to change that um, unless we can produce much larger supplies next fall. So we have to manage this deficit, global deficit between now and next fall, um, assuming good production again uh, comes back. And so the, 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 the impact of the U.S. market is we were already in trouble as it was, but the fact that the U.S. is going to have to go in and buy sugar from the open market just makes it that much tighter and adds to the uh, global supply man deficit that we're in. And to me, the sugar market's got some nice upside here. You know, we think we can make a move to the 15 cent area from where we've been kind of trading at this 12, 12 and a half cent area. We think we can make a move to 15 cents you know, by the first quarter to factor in this this lower supply and increased demand scenario. So, so sugar is one of our favorite markets right now, and uh, and smart money has been really bullish. So we we think it's um it's a market that can do pretty well here going forward. Yeah, that's and that's kind of an exciting thing looking at next year's forward contracts and what they start doing as far as what they plant and how much they plant and those kind of things as well. So it's going to be a uh, it's going to be interesting year to see what happens with with that sugar beet marketplace. So. But keep my eye on that one. Um, that's a because, like I said, that's a big deal for where I'm at. All right. So one other thing I want to talk about too, um, the propane struggles that we talked about last week in Iowa, primarily Iowa, but kind of over and maybe into Illinois a little bit, has actually spurred up into uh, Canada, and most of that has to do with the Canadian railroad strike. So now we're starting to look at two markets that are that are connected but different at the same time, and both of them are having an issue with dry down. Talk about how that's what that effect that's going to have on the corn market, and or if any at all, and, and what that looks like moving forward. Well, if you can't dry down the corn um, in a timely fashion, I mean, you run the risk of having all kinds of problems with quality. Um, and the longer you wait to dry down, you have potential for you know lower test weights when you eventually do dry it down. Or if you can't dry it down or don't get it dried down, um, you know it can't be used for the purposes it was meant to be. So. So the, the, the lack of a, a, a timely dry down of harvested corn is, is a big problem. And, you know, animals need digestible. Uh, so, for example, we talk about the dairy market a lot. You know, the dairy cow needs highly digestible feed in order for it to produce maximum milk output. And if it can't get that and it's, it has feed that's, that's not digested in the manner that's required, and the output goes down. And so there's all kinds of not only yield problems with lower test weights, but also lower uh, animal weights and lower milk output as a result of lower feed quality. So we think it's not something that impacts the market like right now, Casey, but it's something that you'll start to hear more and more about, let's say three months from now and six months from now when when we're A, using more feed than we're supposed to because we're not getting the uh, you know the, the nutritional value out of these these feed, and we're also going to be looking at lower output on just lower weights of the animals. And so all this is is part of a of a bigger picture that this year's crop's going to be lower in supply in terms of total volume and test weight, but also lower in quality. And it just means a uh, a challenging year uh, for uh, for the whole feed market and, and animal feeding market. And that's kind of what we're dealing with. But it's a it's a slow moving train. It's not something that the market, the algorithms understand right away, but it kind of will build over time. It'll add over time. And we talked about this before, Casey, that the USDA loves to make very large adjustments with these kinds of issues in quarterly grain stocks. So we would look at March and June, quarterly grain stocks is where we could see the big multiple hundred million bushel losses of corn supplies that were supposed to be there that are not. 
And that probably is what impacts the market. I know back in 2009, the last time we had a crop this late, this wet, um, and, 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 and had this kind of quality issue, uh, you know, the USDA in the June quarterly grain stocks report lowered corn supplies by, I think, almost 600 million bushels. And if you recall, that's when the market ran from, you know, ran up to eight bucks um, yeah. over the months. And so somewhere between now and the June quarterly grains, there's going to be that epiphany moment. I don't think it's a January USDA report. I think it will come in quarterly grains uh, stocks. That's where I think it will come. So we're not that far away, but it's not an immediate impact today. But, but keep an eye on that, those quarterly grain stocks reports. If I was to be looking at a limit up move or some kind of a real big volatility expansion move, those would be the reports I'd be focused on. Okay, right on. All right, so the other thing is over in France, they have been just inundated with rain and in, in their key wheat-growing parts of the uh, <clears throat> of the country, so they're having a hard time getting their, their soft red wheat plant uh, planted uh, for, the, uh, for the spring crop here. And it is actually had some moves with on the wheat market. I don't know if that's an actual direct correlation or not, but there's been some moves in the wheat market on to, or to the upward side. So talk about what you see happening in wheat and, and how that global market is playing effect on all that. Well, we're also having some, some actual some moisture problems here um, and some of the, uh, on some of the winter wheat crops, soft red winter wheat crop. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we, we have an early start to the winter. We have um, a lot of moisture out there. Uh, you know, normally we, we get the winter clear crop in the ground, no problem, all is well, goes in dormancy. We don't even think about it, but this year... We are having all kinds of unusual problems. Once again, we're getting this weird weather, early winter, unusual moisture, weather volatility. This is all part of the cycle we've talked about for a long time now. Um, I don't see this driving the wheat market perpetually higher. The The market has a short-term memory, Casey. And so what right. happens is they worry about it. It's go through the whole winter. It's going to go into dormancy. And no one's really going to be able to quantify what is exactly does it mean until you come back out of dormancy and you and you see what really is going on? But but it's a factor that will show up in the spring when we come out of dormancy and you see what the quality of the crop looks like when the USDA comes in with their crop conditions and you see how the crops progressing development wise. I think you'll see that the development of the of the winter wheat crop here and in France and other places is going to be pretty poor. Um, so it's going to lead to a much smaller crop, not only because less acres got planted because the yields are not going to be there, especially if we have some unfavorable weather during the spring, which we think you know, we're set up for kind of a drought pattern in the spring, this uh, this spring like we talked about last time. And so winter wheat is something to take a look at for a big price gain in the spring. Yeah. I, don't think it, I don't think it can. Right now, this time of the year, Casey, what really drives winter wheat market will be lack of Russian exports or increased U.S. exports. We're seeing some good signs with that. If we're going to get a move higher into the winter, I think that will be the fundamental that drives it. I don't think it's going to be the wet weather. I think there's a, a short fuse to that uh, this time of the year. Okay. So kind of bounce back to the corn market here a little bit. <clears throat> Start looking at South America. Um, the Brazilians have uh, have lowered their crop over our corn crop estimate, and the actual um, Argentina, they have actually stuck with the same kind of uh, – corn prediction that they that they'd come out with originally so you know with all the stuff that we've had in the u.s and and how how brazil has affected the overall marketplace just with the amount of stuff they've been selling to china and, and what that looks like and in the stocks that they have and so on and so forth um 
that seems to me like that could be a bit of a, a powder keg down there and how that, you know, they're having some dry issues, dryness issues. They're having some wet, cool issues over in, in key growing areas in Argentina and, you know, dryness in Brazil. And it's kind of back back and forth again. That, that could be a, a, the weather market that we're looking for that could spur something uh, in the U.S. as far as kind of the kickstart the corn market and the soybean market back up to the upward side. Absolutely. Um, you know, U.S. weather is, is no longer a factor. We have what we have. The USDA doesn't know what we have, and the market doesn't know what we have, and it's traded whatever we thinks we have. But I, that, but down there, if they're not going to have a, a bin buster crop like last year, and those exportable supplies are going to be quite a bit off, um, and that's really what's kept the U.S. export market so depressed, and what's kept the uh, um, you know the the foreign buyers well supplied with corn. And don't forget, they are expanding their animal feeding units in Brazil like crazy. Um, we showed, you know, the, the, the parabolic rise in pork prices, the parabolic rise in cattle prices down there. I mean, they are expanding like crazy. So their feed demand domestically is growing like, you know, record pace right now. And so, um, so, so, so that's eating away into their export of supplies at a time that we think that the crop's going to be down. And so, so they're just not going to be able to ship this massive amount of corn that they did this year. And that means that the U.S. export market has reached We've already probably reached and gone through the worst of it. We're going to see a progressively improving corn market and probably, we think, in a really exciting export market come the springtime. So so we think that that's a, one of the factors that the corn market is going to be a, a positive bullish driver, not to mention the weather that you could come in to create a more of, a, of an emotional spike. But the lack of exports out of South America and the increased U.S. exports is the one thing that the bears have been holding their hat on. If they lose that hat, you know, we think there's going to be a lot of short covering of some large algorithmic short positions in the corn market going forward. So we're we like the corn market here a lot. We just think it's um it's building uh, some big potential here to blow its top off, as you said, going into the winter months as as South American weather becomes more problematic. Yeah. And what would a moving iron podcast markets be without a China talk? You know, I mean, we gotta can't can't not talk talk about China right now. So. All right, so there's some couple things out there looming on both sides of the fence that are <clears throat> that are a big deal. So we got that December fifteenth deadline, which is not that far away, three weeks away or whatever it is, two weeks away from today. Um, so if they don't get some phase one thing figured out, I guess I did have a phone call. I guess I had a, a nice teleconference here the, uh, this morning to talk about the uh, differences with the phase one deal um, get that thing ironed out. But I guess that was, I thought it was ironed out, but I guess it's not. So they got a few more things to work out there. Um, so that they have to get that deal taken care of by the 15th or more tariffs go into place. Uh, the U S will put more tariffs on um, Chinese products, but with the, with the pork woes that, that China is having, they're actually kicking around the idea of eliminating the 72% tariff on U S pork, which would be, I can imagine what that would do to the, the pork market and what that, how much that would open that up. So I guess talk about those two dynamics. One is the overall global marketplace of ter- more tariffs going to there, and it's kind of the same old thing, and it's just going to throw a wet blanket over the fire. But if this this hog thing happens with this, the tariffs in China, there could be some really big upsides on the pork side of, of the U.S. market. Well, look, the China imposed tariffs on imported U.S. agriculture is at their discretion. Right. That's true. Yep. Uh, It's up to them. And 
they need the protein. They need the beef protein. They need the chicken. Remember, they opened up the chicken market in the U.S. for the first time. You know, just recently they said, all right, now you can, we, can, we can buy all, you know, Mark, we, we'll buy your chicken now. So they got to buy the protein. I, you know, phase one, phase three, phase 10, phase 50, by 2050, I don't care what any of that is. They're just going to lower the tariffs on the protein because they got to buy it. They may not lower the tariffs on anything else because maybe they don't need all that stuff for right now. But I just think, what are they going to do? Not buy it or pay the 72% increase? I mean, right. they're just going to look buy it. So the protein market's exciting, very exciting, especially the pork market because it's you know been under a lot of pressure, as you know, because they've been playing this dog and pony show. We're going to buy We buy a little bit and we pull back. And, and now you know, they've been correcting again because we're worried about tariffs again. We really like the hog market here. The, the correction, the smart money has been starting to buy in. We're starting to get more bullish readings for the first time all year. Um, and, and we think no matter what happens with the phase, anything, they're going to have to buy the pork um, and, and buy a lot of it. And, and they'll, just, they'll just get rid of the tariffs. Well, it could be a separate announcement on its own. Tariffs on pork gone. Who knows what happens with phase one? But we think the pork market has some potential limit up opportunity here in the next you know one to two months. Uh, it's just explosive market, especially at this depressed level, right at support. Remember now, first quarter, second quarter U.S. pork production is going to be off 300 million pounds in the first quarter and an additional 380 million pounds in the second quarter. So this, this oversupply that we've had in the U.S. domestically is going to go away for two quarters at a time that the Chinese are going to be bu- potentially buying a lot. I mean, it is really a wild situation that could develop here. And, and if the Brazilian price chart is any indication, it's going to be, I don't know, it's just going to be one, it's just going to go straight up out of nowhere. Yep. And I think that's coming. And uh, if I were to be looking at anything right now that, that, that probably has the best you know, risk-reward profile based upon all the factors we try to look at, we think the park market, uh, the hog market, is probably one of the best markets right now, assuming you know we don't wake up and hear that African swine fever has been found in the U.S. Right. That's the only big that's, point thing. That's what I worry about more than anything. <clears throat> yeah. All right, beef market. Jump over and take a look at that. Um, there, the EU is kicking around the idea of letting in some more U.S. beef uh, and, and trying to ease some tensions there with some possible issues. Just the issues, not possible. The issues that we have over there with the the looming trade war that we have with with the European Union, um, and then you know cattle futures are are kind of having a good run up this week at the start of the week anyway. You know China's been buying some beef. We've seen other countries that were not typically buyers of U.S. beef come to the table. So the beef market is another place that it looks like there's some upward potential in. Look, Brazil was sell, was supplying them the, the global market with beef, and their and their price started to go parabolic, which means they're kind of done. Mm-hmm. So, so now, all of a sudden, once that happened, you know, everyone's saying, "Okay, uh, we hate the U.S., but we better we better love them for a little while because we need their beef now." Right. And you know, we're not really, you know, our our fourth quarter beef production is down from last year's fourth quarter. The first quarter production is going to be down over three hundred million pounds. Um, we know Australia's three-year historic drought has decimated the herd, but the herd liquidation can't really continue any longer, no matter what happens, because unless they decide they don't want a beef industry, which means they're not going to be able to supply the, 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 you know, the, the U.S. imports of, of uh, you know, the ground beef that we you know, import from them, the ground beef quality beef from Australia and from New Zealand. 
are going to dry up. And so when we really look at the supply side situation of U.S. beef supplies and the need of farmers to buy beef supplies, wow, you know, I, I just, it's hard to see this market having anything but a very brief short-term corrections on, on an ongoing move higher uh, to us. I mean, it just looks to us like we're heading to a, a 150 market maybe by the end of the first quarter or something like that before we might do something with demand or hurt it enough to, to kind of settle the score for a little while. But it's really, really hard with this kind of a supply profile. And really, I mean, look, you can ramp chickens up, eat quickly. You can ramp pork up quickly. We just can't ramp up, you know, the cattle, you know, beef supplies quickly. It's a slow moving uh, train, uh, slow moving um, ship. And it, and it just, there's, there's no fast way to remedy this problem. And so even though the markets rallied a lot, and even though it's certainly not as good a buy today as it was a couple of months back, and even though, you know, maybe it's due for a little bit of a corrective period like it typically does near the end of the year, it's hard to see it not going higher, Casey. So we still like the market, just not as much as we did before. Right on. Right on, man. <clears throat> well, this is the week of Thanksgiving, so what are your – you have any big Thanksgiving Day plans? Are you going to have the family come down or you guys sticking around? <laughs> A nurse, and so every every nurse eventually gets the uh, opportunity to work on Thanksgiving Day, right which on. is yep. her year to do that. So we're actually doing Thanksgiving today. Right on. There um, you go. So I I, I, I'm, I always cook the Thanksgiving dinner. I'm a good cook, and so I got sweet potatoes going, mashed potatoes going. I got some beets going. I got mm -hmm. the big turkey going, and so smells good in here right now. I'm yeah. hungry. Yeah, right on, man. <laughs> Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays. It's just it's a sit and eat. That's really all there is to that holiday. There's nothing more to it, so you can't really beat that with a stick. Family's close by, so they all come over, and yeah. it's easy. We're <clears throat> an hour drive away, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. So. so we were going to try to get back to Wichita here, but I don't know. This storm is not not looking like we're going to get get out there, so I have to dig that turkey out of the freezer and and fire it up. I think so. But looking forward to it either way, and uh, just want to say to everybody out there listening to the podcast right now, uh, have a happy Thanksgiving and. Uh, Sean, till next week, we'll uh, talk to you again, buddy. Sounds good, Mr. K. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, and uh, thank you for all that you do to get the word out on agriculture for the, for U.S. producers. It's 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 a great help in, in a world full of of dubious news. You know, we try to bring the truth out, and I really appreciate that. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. Make sure you check out Moving Iron Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, all the fun places you can find podcasts. Also, check out the Global Ag Network and go down to the bottom there on their website, and there's a newsletter there that you guys can subscribe to and get all the latest and greatest news on all the podcasts out there. Um, also, check me out Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. So until next time, this is Casey Seymour and Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here.